Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> really nice to uh, see you, and uh, I'm hoping you're going to uh, understand my croaky voice. I'm armed and dangerous with my tissues here. And uh, I just got back from England on Wednesday where I had a highly successful um, accent refurbishment procedure. <laughs> so it's kind of fresh. And not only that, I've got this British cold as well. So if I see you in the hallway, uh, I'm not going to hug you or shake your hand. I'm going to kind of air fist bump you because you don't want a British cold. This is a British cold. I got it in England. And uh, the symptoms of a British cold are you get a runny nose, a cough, and you feel an irrational desire to sing God Save the Queen. And so we can't have that. So anyway, uh, really good to see you. Our parking lot, I came here earlier this morning, and our team were out there doing their best. This weather's crazy. 15 inches of snow, that should be illegal. And our team have been out there and working so hard. I know we've been applauding a lot today. Could we express our appreciation for that team? who've been doing such a great job. So today, the first weekend in December, and it marks the beginning of Advent, that month, if, that, if you will, that period um, around Christmas where uh, the Christian church waits and reflects and prepares. Um, the word Advent means arrival, and this is the time when we can prepare, if you will, for the arrival of of King Jesus born to us. And so what we're going to do is over the next three weekends, we've got this mini-series which we're calling Unwrapping Christmas. Unwrapping Christmas. And we hope to take a fresh look um, at this story. We're going to take some different camera angles, if you will. So this weekend, I want us to think about one particular character. I'll introduce him in a moment. But we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. It says this. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And then Matthew chapter 2 describes what happens after the baby has been born. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. Here's another familiar story, and if you know it, um, help me out and join in. Jack and Jill went up the hill, yes they did, and to fetch... Absolutely correct. And then, sadly, Jack 
Yes, tragic. And broke his crown. Yes. And Jill, she came. Yeah. Well done. It's such a familiar story that I think we never investigate in greater depth the fact that there are some serious health and safety issues around this particular story. A number of questions that have been bothering me. Why was the only water source for Jack at the top of a hill when normally we would find that at the bottom of a hill? That's been worrying me all weekend. Um, Did Jill want to go up there or did she just go along with it? Did Jack trip? Or was he perhaps pushed? Was his crown immediately fixed or did he have to wait for insurance company approval before he could get treatment? You see, it's a familiar story, so we don't dig into it. Now, the Christmas story is no nursery rhyme. It's a fact, it's true. But the danger is that it's such a familiar story that we don't dig into it. The angels announce news of exceeding great joy, news. But here is the news. It's not the news to us because we've heard it so many times. And the reality of the story, the message of the story can be lost in the blur of Christmas. And we're already in the countdown. Did you know, and I say this just immediately after Thanksgiving, Did you know that the average consumption of calories on Christmas Day is 7,000 calories per person in the US and in the UK? And shopping, we just had Black Friday. How many of you are all ready for Christmas? You've done the gifts and you are all set. Raise your hand that we might look at you and despise you. No, really not. Well done. Well done for that. And, and people do some really weird things at Christmas. We wear dodgy sweaters that we would never normally wear. They are uh, appalling fashion statements. And we watch films that we've seen dozens of times. In Sweden, every Christmas, 40% of the population on Christmas Day will gather around the TV at 3 p.m. to watch a Donald Duck special. Weird. Did you know that in England, Christmas was banned for 16 years? There was no Christmas for 16 years. Parliament in 1644 decreed that Christmas trees and Christmas decorations were illegal and they made the baking of certain pies illegal. Imagine that. The cop shows up and says, step away from the pie, ma'am. All that time, it was banned, and uh, town criers went through the streets crying, no Christmas, no Christmas, and it spread to Boston here in the USA. There was no Christmas in Boston for 22 years, from 1659 to 1681. The Puritans banned it. Now, uh, I love Christmas. I'm certainly not suggesting that, but E.B. White, who wrote Charlotte's Web, said this, to perceive Christmas through its wrapping becomes even more difficult with every year. And this weekend, we're thinking about Joseph. He's the the consummate unsung hero. You don't often see him on Christmas cards. Anybody else started receiving Christmas cards already? I have, and and I'm kind of scared because I know I'm going to get some of those Christian Christmas family newsletters. 
And I like some of them, but some of them drive me crazy because it's the perfect Christian family. Yes, little Jimmy, praise the Lord. He's only four, but he plays 37 musical instruments perfectly. (laughs) And he's fluent in Hebrew and Greek. And there's a photograph of the perfect Christian family and mum's grinning and dad's grinning and the kids are grinning and the pet boa constrictor is ecstatic. (sighs) And you get those Christmas cards. Have you noticed Joseph is never on the Christmas card? You've got Mary dressed in blue, slightly glowing. You've got Jesus, who's only 10 minutes old, but he's sitting up already, isn't he? Amazing. Saying to the wise men, thanks for coming to my party. It's amazing. Not being irreverent to the gospel story, but rather to the portrayal. You've got all those grinning cows and donkeys in the moonlit Chanel number five smelling hay. (laughs) But where's Joseph? He's out the back, maybe fixing a wonky coffee table. I don't know. But he never seems to appear. He's overlooked. He's only mentioned 16 times in the gospel records, not at all in the gospel of Mark. Matthew doesn't mention him after chapter 2. Luke ignores him after chapter 4. John only mentions him twice. So why should we think about him this weekend? Well, look closer. Because although he doesn't play a big part in the narrative, the Bible views him as being a critical part of the story. And so Matthew traces Joseph's lineage, his genealogy, back through David, all the way back to Abraham, and Luke traces his origin all the way back to Adam. So there is a spotlight on him, not only that, but he's a man of the supernatural. He has four pivotal dreams that change the course of history. He's a man of maturity. Craig Keener, the commentator, says that Joseph was probably between 18 and 20 years old, just a young man, but displays incredible maturity in bewildering circumstances. But here's the thing I really want us to see. The Bible says he was righteous. He was righteous. He was righteous. That righteous term is a, an adjective that Zacharias and Elizabeth and Simeon are described as righteous. So, but what does righteous mean? I mean, let's face it. You don't hear many people saying that their primary ambition in life is to be righteous. You don't hear that at high school graduations, even though Matthew 6.33, we are told by Jesus, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It should be a primary ambition. The only thing is this, What does that mean? And that's what we're going to explore together. So if you're following in the bulletin, here's the first thing. Joseph was righteous. He was righteous and kind. Joseph was a righteous man, says Matthew in chapter 1. I think we need to redeem the word. And the reason for that is there are some people, there are some Christians who give righteousness a bad name. They are, to quote Mark Twain, good in the worst possible way. I've met righteous people who are blinded to people. They're very intent on doing the right thing and standing up for principle. Just not that nice. And here's a, here's a weird thing to say. And if I say anything super weird this weekend, I mean more than usual, it is that I am dosed up with legal pharmaceuticals. So <laughs> please understand that. But here's a weird thing to say. Some people get ruined 
by the wrong kind of religion. And I'm talking Christians. They used to be nice. And then something happens and they're not that kind. Someone has said righteous people are always exhausting to have around. And I've, I've met a few of those. Joseph has had this awkward conversation with Mary. Imagine that. They're betrothed. They're engaged. More about that a little later. And I don't know where they were when she shared the news. But she says, uh, Joseph, uh, uh, there's something I need to tell you. And he says, uh, what's that, honey? And she says, um, no easy way to say this. I'm pregnant. And he says, what? And she gives the most implausible sounding explanation for pregnancy in the history of pregnancy. She says, God did it. <laughs> Bewildering. And here's what, as a good Jew, he probably would have been expected to have done. As a good Jew, he would have branded her with public disgrace, which would have been very risky. He could have exposed her as an adulteress, which could have put her at the risk of death by stoning, although that didn't happen that often in New Testament times. It's been said that Joseph had a short but tragic struggle between his legal conscience and his love, but love won the day. And he came up with this plan to quietly end their relationship. Don't be one of those righteous people who slap people with Bibles. And they're stern in the name of Jesus. And they're picky and they're critical and they tend to speak with a rant and they look down at folks and, and they're offended easily. You met Christians like that and some of them, they come to church to get offended. They've taken away my chair. <laughs> and I don't know where to find it. If you think this is crazy, think about the Pharisees who had a whole bunch of religion. They prayed for two hours a day. They talked endlessly about the law and they were mean. Has kindness become a casualty in a relationship and the kindness has actually been fueled by our religiosity in some weird way? Joseph was righteous and he was kind. Secondly, he was righteous and he was flexible. He was righteous and he was flexible. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Now please, let's understand this. Kindness meant that Joseph came up with a plan. He's going to divorce her. Now let me explain that. They are betrothed, but that's like engagement, but far more, far more committed and far more serious. An arrangement will be made with the girl's parents back then. There would be negotiations. And then a formal engagement would begin when the man would say to the woman, by this gift, he would give her a gift, by this gift, uh, you are set apart for me according to the laws of Moses and Israel. Now they're engaged. And then they would share marriage vows then at engagement. And only divorce could break those vows. And there would normally be a year after those vows. Um, and then after around a year, the couple would then share a home and begin a sexual relationship. But it would be after that year. It was during that year 
when Mary announces that she is expecting. And the Bible says that Joseph, look at this, he had, he had it in mind to divorce her. A literal translation of the Greek is, he had made up his mind. This is what I'm going to do. But it was the wrong plan. And the angel corrected him. And he realized that even though it was kind, it was wrong. Can we say, are we able as individuals to say, yeah, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Because sometimes people of religious conviction can be the most obstinate and stubborn. Are we able to say, I was wrong. Three words that can lead us to a better future in all of our relationships. I was wrong. When was the last time you were wrong and admitted it? It is intolerable to have to be right all the time. Joseph was righteous and he was flexible and teachable. Thirdly, he was righteous and self-controlled. He was righteous and self-controlled. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. Now, think about this. This is a young couple with all of the normal anticipation of a honeymoon. But there's not really a honeymoon because they wait to consummate their marriage until after the baby has been born. That is a picture, a portrait of self-control that directly confronts our just-do-it culture. You know, the idea that if you want, if you feel like it, well, just do it. And we often, that's suggested in the name of freedom. Even the saintly St. Augustine prayed once, O oh Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. And our culture tends to mock virginity and purity. The 40-year-old virgin, the movie, the notion that, oh, bless your heart. In fact, when the abstinence movement was at its height, encouraging young people to reserve the expression of their sexuality for marriage, there were some people actually writing in the press to say that abstinence was damaging. What a weird world we live in. And here is a portrait, excuse me, of self-control. And by the way, it's not just about sex. Isn't it weird that Christmas can be a season of excess? People even say, go on, it's Christmas. Can you imagine this conversation two days after Christmas? Yeah, I, I ate and drank too much over Christmas. Oh, really? Why'd you do that? Well, you know, it was Jesus' birthday. <laughs> and it can be in our spending. It can be in our relationships. But here is a model of self-control. An unpopular message, but Joseph and Mary were committed to that. Fourthly, Joseph was righteous. He was righteous and sensitive to God's leading. Righteous and sensitive to God's leading. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Joseph had four dreams that changed history. The first dream was, don't worry, she's carrying the Savior. The second dream was this one, go to Egypt. The third dream was return from Egypt 
And the fourth dream was settle the family in Galilee. Joseph had a sensitivity to God and that enabled God to speak to him through dreams. Now, I don't know how you are with your dreams. I remember most of my dreams. And so, um, Kay and I just got back from our 12-day trip with a lovely group of people to London and Israel and Jordan. And every night, including last night, since that trip, um, I've, I've had the same dream. I'm on a bus with that group of people, and then I lose half of them. <laughs> and, and we arrive at the hotel, but we don't arrive because it's disappeared, and I can't find it. Is God speaking to me through that? No. It's just me working out my angst. But there have been times in my life when maybe three or four occasions where God has spoken to me through a dream. My grandmother, who passed away many years ago, um, she lived most of her life not as a Christian. She was so nice. I never heard her say a bad word about anybody. And I don't think she thought she was a sinner. And one day she announced she was coming to church. This was back in England, coming to church to hear me preach. And I was really excited. And uh, I prepared my message. And on the Saturday night before the Sunday, Saturday normally comes before Sunday. It's the drugs. Um, I had a dream. And over and over in the dream, I heard this voice saying, there's a broad way and there's a narrow way. There's a broad way and there's a narrow way. There's a broad way and there's a narrow way. Now, let me make something clear. I didn't prepare a message to get, to get my grandma. Sometimes people come up to us and they'll, here at Timberline, they'll say, did you preach that to get at me? No. Why would we declare something to 5,000 people over a weekend to get at one in? No, we would never do that. But I was obviously hoping that my grandmother would be impacted by the message. I got up on Sunday morning, I scrapped my message, and I quickly prepared a message on a broad way and a narrow way. My grandma came to church. I looked back. She was sitting back there, 10 rows back, frankly looking bored. She wasn't singing the songs. And she was like, seemed to be more interested in the building. She's looking around. And I got up to speak and I thought she'd, she'd you know, there'd be a warm smile. Her grandson is preaching, but she's still checking out the lighting. I'm like, what's with you, grandma? And she didn't look interested at all. And then I said, there's a broad way and there's a narrow way. And she looked at me, carried on preaching, and she carried on looking at the lighting. But at the end of the service, she became a Christian. So I went out to her and said, Grandma, you look bored senseless. What happened this morning? Why did you become a Christian? It was a really good idea, but what happened? She said, well, she said, I don't know. She said, all I know is that when you said there's a broad way and there's a narrow way, something hit me and I knew I had to respond. She said, I don't even know what it means. I didn't listen to the rest of the message. <laughs> oh, thanks, Grandma. Bless your heart. Lovely, lovely. That was a dream that broke open my grandma's heart. I remember one Christmas, I came up with this clever idea to try and be creative. What do you give the person who's got everything for Christmas, that being Jesus? What can we give Jesus? So what I did, I got a mirror and I wrapped it in some packaging and I had it at the front and I had people come out and the idea is they would look into the parcel, to, into the box and they would see a reflection of themselves and they would go, oh, Jesus wants me. And my dad was there and he came out and he looked into the box. He said, what would Jesus want with a mirror?
giving this to Jesus this Christmas, a fresh openness, a fresh openness to the Holy Spirit, a fresh availability to the possibility of God's interruption, fresh agenda. Maybe, who knows? A dream, an interaction of the Holy Spirit. He was righteous and sensitive to God's leading. Well, the last thing is this, Joseph, he was righteous and faithful. He was righteous and faithful. Some years later, when Jesus is a young boy, they take him to Jerusalem uh, for a, a celebration festival. And on the way home, they realize he's not with them. And they go back and they find him and they kind of tell him off. And he says these words without a hint of unkindness. He says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. I wonder how Joseph felt about that. Because he's his stepdad. I wonder when he heard Jesus talking about his father, did Joseph, I'm speculating, did Joseph think, yeah, I'll never be his real father? And he didn't even get to name the child. The name was given to him by the angel, Jesus. He did name him officially, which, by the way, was the point of adoption. It was a rather beautiful moment, but he didn't get to choose the name. And then things got pretty rough for Joseph. You know those children's nativity plays they do every year where they, they, they take the sheets from their beds and tea towels and wrap them around their heads? And, and they're delightful, aren't they? I, I really like those. And um, my, one of my grandsons is playing the angel Gabriel in one of those this year, which is very interesting. And here it was this nativity scene. And it's the innkeeper saying to Mary and Joseph, there's no room at the inn. Remember that part of the story? Which, by the way, there is no inn in the Bible or innkeeper. The word simply means guest room. There's no inn or innkeeper. It's just a legend that's grown up around Christmas. But they're doing the, they're doing the inn and the, uh, the innkeeper and the Joseph dialogue, these five-year-olds. So the little boy playing Joseph, <coughs> he walks up. Uh, on the stage, and uh, he says, hello, my name is Joseph, and this is my wife, Mary, and she is heavy with child. Tell me, oh humble innkeeper, do you have any room in your inn? And the innkeeper, the little boy playing the innkeeper, froze and forgot his lines. So everyone's like, awkward. So Joseph decides to give it another go. Hello, my name is Joseph, and this is my wife, Mary, and she is heavy with child. Tell me, oh humble innkeeper, do you have any room in your inn? And he froze again. I was like, awkward. So Joseph decides to give it one last try. Hello, my name is Joseph, and this... Is my wife Mary, and she's heavy with child. Tell me, oh humble innkeeper, do you have any room in your inn? And from the side of the stage, a teacher said, make it up, make it up. And the innkeeper said, sure, I've got plenty of room, come on in.
But that's not how it happened. There was no room in the guest room. And Joseph probably died before the public ministry of Jesus began. The first miracle at Cana, only Mary is mentioned. Joseph doesn't feature. We know for sure that Joseph had died by the time of the crucifixion of Jesus because Jesus makes arrangements for the care of his mother from the cross. He was faithful. In tough times, no room in the guest room, unresolved questions, never saw the fullness. But he trusted and he obeyed. You may not have been here for that service that weekend, but 18 months ago, I asked you to pray for this couple. This couple, uh, Simon and Lisa, they pastor a church in England. And um, I heard news uh, that Simon had been given a terminal cancer diagnosis. And so um, I asked you, Timberline family, to pray for him. And on Facebook, three days ago, I think, um, I read this announcement from Lisa. She said, it's with great sadness, but with peace to say that Simon went to be with Jesus, his Lord and Savior, this morning at 2.30 a.m. He was surrounded all day by family and friends and then with me at the very end. And I wrote to him 18 months ago to tell him that we were praying. And here's what he wrote back. These are his words. He said, hey, Jeff, lovely to hear from you. Thanks for the church. Thank you for praying for us. We feel so surrounded by God's family praying into this situation. We know this is a story of redemption, not destruction. He said, I'd love to get on a plane one day and meet some of those people that are praying in Colorado. Thank you for praying. And, and typical of this young man, I didn't know him personally, but with courage and bravery, he planned his own funeral. And uh, here's what, his, his words. He said, I, I want to worship celebration. I want it to be upbeat. He said, show our family that despair and grief do not have to rule. Praise through your pain and tears. He said, I want it to be smart but relaxed. You don't need to wear all black for my funeral. I want life in the occasion. He said, I'd like everyone to bring a plastic champagne flute to celebrate life. And he said, I want everyone to have party poppers. And we're going to celebrate, you'll celebrate life. And he said, make sure you focus on Jesus and make sure you lift him up. Here's a young couple that have and are navigating through tragedy with faithfulness. I am humbled. Pray for Lisa and her young family. And here in Scripture was a young couple, young couple, who trusted God faithfully through bewildering, confusing circumstances. And they were righteous. And I look at you, before we go to prayer, I look around this room, and I catch the eyes of some people whose stories I know. 
and you too, at this season of joy, you are navigating your way through grief. And look at you. You're trusting God on the darker days. And sometimes you feel like you're hanging on by your fingertips. I think Joseph felt like that. I don't know how else to say this, but I want to honor you and thank you for your example of faithfulness. When you don't understand, you can't figure it out, you don't know. But still you trust. Still you trust. That, my friend, that is righteous. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for the example that we find in this Advent story. This young couple, this young man, righteous and kind. Show us, Father, where not only kindness has become a casualty, but where even our faith has turned us to be acerbic, acidic people who carp and rant. Please, Lord, rescue us from that corruption of our convictions. Help us to be those who are willing to say, I was wrong. I am wrong. Grant us the humility and grace. Even when we've, like Joseph, we've made up our minds. Help us to admit that we can get it wrong. Help us in this season that's so often characterized by excess. In every area of our lives, help us, Lord, to be self-controlled. May it not be, Lord, that we celebrate the birth of Christ with behaviors that do not honor Christ. We give you the gift of ourselves, an openness and readiness. Speak to us during this season. Change us, redirect us, realign us, disturb us, wake us up, grant us a dream. We bring you us. I bring you me. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it might be that this is a moment for you to say, I give you my life, Lord. I surrender to you. I want to follow you. Forgive me. Save me. Rescue me. Take charge of my life. Finally, Lord, for all who are living faith faithfully, you know who they are. And you know their tears and their challenges. As we pray for dear Lisa and her children, we pray for all like her during this season. Would you lift up their heads and their hearts? May they know your smile, your grace, your peace. So Father, here's our prayer. We'd like to be righteous in the truest sense of that word. May it be so through your work in our lives. We agree together in Jesus' name. Everyone said.